Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Lay the Points podcast. I'm your host, Kendall Caps. Well, I hope you guys are enjoying your weekend. I know I certainly am. We got off to a great start with the Pac 12 championship on Friday evening. And man, I guess we should have seen that coming. I mean, we all have watched USC all year, drop 40-plus, Caleb Williams, the Heisman frontrunner, just lighting people up. But what was overlooked was how bad that defense really is. Even Boo Corrigan said week after week from the committee that they wanted to see more from the defense. And when the offense couldn't deliver every time, we saw what they were really made of. That was some of the worst tackling I think I've ever seen. And now we have USC out of the college football playoff picture. And interestingly, Kyle Whittingham actually sending a a message to Ohio State telling Coach Day you're welcome because now it looks like Ohio State, despite getting drubbed by Michigan last week, is going to find their way back into the college football playoff without having to play another game. Um, but it is understandable considering their resume and they, for the most part, were really solid all year long. If you're going to have another team slide in, it would make sense for it to be Ohio State. Uh, but the question is, going into this weekend, there's still opportunity for more mayhem. We still have three other major conference title games that could decide who ends up making the college football playoff. So I want to kick it off with, personally, my favorite team, Michigan. I grew up as a big Michigan fan ever since I was young. I don't know what it was, the maize and blue, something about them I just really loved, despite not being from that area. And, you know, I was ecstatic last week when they dump-trucked uh, Ohio State in the shoe. First time they've won there since 2000. It was a really impressive performance, particularly in the second half. And keep in mind, they did it without Blake Corum. So now they earn their ticket to the Big Ten title game for the second straight year. And they're giving Purdue 16 and a half in Indianapolis on a neutral field. That's obviously a really big number, but I think there's a lot of people out there that might be skeptical of Michigan because when you come off of the type of win that they had last week against your arch rival on the road with so much on the line, it's generally easy to see a team fall flat a little bit. And knowing Blake Corum, they announced he's going to have surgery, so he's done for the year. So the potential Heisman candidate, he's not going to win it, but there's a good chance he gets invited to New York. He's not on the field, so there's plenty of reason to think that Purdue especially given you know their all-conference quarterback, two-time all-conference quarterback, Aiden O'Connell is legit. He can sling around the yard a bit. So there's plenty of reason to believe that Purdue might be able to cover this line. But I look back to last year when Michigan beat Ohio State for the first time in almost a decade, and that punched their ticket, ticket to the Big Ten title game last year. And a lot of people were concerned against Iowa. Will they come out flat? And they destroyed them 42 to three. And this team, after losing the way they did to Georgia in the college football playoff last year, you know they're going to be motivated to get back there. I don't see them slipping up. I could foresee Purdue hanging in the game early, but the physicality of this Michigan team, I don't know if there's another team as physical as they are, especially at the point of attack, at the line of scrimmage in all of college football. 
And Purdue, as good as they are, and they have some talent, they have some weapons on the outside. Defensively, I just don't see them being able to last 60 minutes against this Michigan team. And even without Blake Corm last week, we saw that Donovan Edwards is fully capable of handling the load and taking care of business in his place. Ran for, what, 200 yards or so. He ripped off a couple of those really long touchdowns to help put the game away last week. Um, and, and I think we might see a little bit more of the same. Edwards is looking at a pretty solid game here again. I think as the game goes along, we get into the fourth quarter, Purdue's defense, which will probably be on the field more often than not, because when they do score, it's going to be quicker strikes, I would assume. I think they're going to wear down. So even though 16 and a half is a big number, I'm going to lay those points, get it on the front side of 17 where you can. That's, you know, one of those magic numbers when you're talking about big spreads. So get it at 16 and a half, lay the points. I think you'll be happy come Sunday morning. All right, now let's move to the the Big 12 title game. TCU, maybe the most disrespected team in the nation, giving one and a half to Kansas State, a team that, you know, had a 28 to 10 lead on them earlier this season in uh in Texas and they came back and found a way to win that game. And I think there's a couple ways that people could look at this game. TCU is the first team since 1975 to win seven straight games by seven points or less. I mean, that's that's either they're incredibly, incredibly lucky or they're very well coached. And over the last six games, they've allowed 15 points total in the second half. So they are doing a really good job of making adjustments at the ha- at halftime. And a couple of weeks ago, I talked about TCU when they were road touchdown dogs to Texas. And, and I said that I really like TCU in this game. You're telling me you can get a team that's as talented as they are, that has a defense as good as theirs, especially their secondary on the road, getting a touchdown to a three loss team. Well, now they're on a neutral site playing another three loss team and they're only favored by one and a half. Now, don't get me wrong. K-State is a very good team. They're a good program. I expect this to be a very good ball game. But at one and a half, you're basically telling me TCU just has to win this game. And I think they've shown enough, to me at least, that I'm a believer that they're legit. They deserve their spot in the college football playoff. And they're going to prove it Saturday morning and take care of business. All right, now I want to transition to the NFL. Uh, This is a big week coming up, week 13 in the NFL. We are definitely heading down the stretch now, and there's some seriously key games that have big-time playoff implications on the line. Um, I kind of want to start with the Baltimore Ravens, who, they, you know, on paper, they should be a little bit better than what they've been. And over the last six, seven weeks offensively, they have not been close to what you expected from them earlier on this season. I mean, Lamar Jackson is really struggling, but I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, he doesn't have a lot to work with. Rashad Bateman was his only legit wide receiver, and he's now on IR. Devin DuVernay, who's, you know, a very good kick returner and has been a good kick returner for a few years now, is the wide receiver one. It's it's difficult, and... You know, Mark Andrews, he's legit. Now, he's been in and out of the lineup. He's healthy now. He will play. 
uh, and that certainly will help things. They're giving eight and a half to the Broncos. And, you know, I, I have to own up to it. One of the biggest misses I've ever had. And thankfully, I'm not the only one because I know a lot of people were high on the Broncos this year. But man, this might be the most disappointing performance by an NFL football team, considering the expectations that I can remember in 30 years of watching the NFL. The Broncos were thought to be Super Bowl contenders, and they might be bottom five in the NFL this year. Their offense is historically bad. They have scored 23 once. They have scored more than 16 points twice. Incredibly, if they had just scored 17 points in nine games this year, they'd be tied with the Chiefs. But they can't get to 17. And despite the fact that the Ravens have struggled offensively, I just don't know how the Broncos are going to score points to be able to stay with them. Now, the the over-under sitting at 39.5, I could easily see this game being a 17-10 game uh, in, in Baltimore, excuse me, Denver with a backdoor cover maybe. Um, but if there's any part of this, I think I lean toward the under. Uh, I just, there's not a lot going for either of these offenses. And both defenses are fully capable. Even after the Broncos traded Bradley Chubb, their defense didn't really miss a beat very much. They're deep and they're talented on that side of the football against what is a bad offense right now that's so reliant on Lamar Jackson. Jackson has been nicked up lately. So for all those reasons, I think both teams are going to struggle to score, especially in the red zone. That might be Justin Tucker might be a, a busy man because I think Lamar will do enough to move the football. Denver, I don't even know how they're going to. I don't even know if they will move the football. Uh, KJ Hamler's out. It looks like Judy and Sutton might also both be out. They already cut Melvin Gordon. So, I mean, I think Boone might be their starting running back this week. It's, it's a mass unit over there. And they're already really, really bad when they had those players. So 39 and a half, I feel like the under is a pretty safe bet there. So that's where I lean with that game. And that should put Baltimore in a pretty good position once again to try to either win the AFC North or get a wild card spot and try to make a playoff run. Let's stay in the AFC North and take a look at the Pittsburgh Steelers who are on the road giving one and a half to the Atlanta Falcons. Over-under sitting at 42 and a half. Now the Steelers, you know, coming into this year, Mike Tomlin had never finished a regular season with a losing record. It's pretty incredible. I give him props. There's been a lot of Eight and eight and eight seasons, nine and seven seasons, ten and six seasons. There's only been a handful of great seasons. Nevertheless, you got to give props where they're due, and he's never had a losing season. But I said before this season, when the over-under for Pittsburgh's wins was sitting at, I believe, seven and a half, and I said I'd love to hammer that under, and I feel really good. They're sitting at four and seven right now, but I think they might get their fifth win here against Atlanta, and there's a few reasons why. Interestingly, for whatever reason, they tend to play Atlanta well. This is just a little tidbit. They're 14-2-1 all time against Atlanta. So they tend to play them well. And also, some people who like the Atlanta side of things will point to Pittsburgh's coming off a short week. Well, that might actually not be a bad thing. Since Mike Tomlin took over in Pittsburgh, coming off a short week, the Steelers are 13-7. and And they also have a 650 winning percentage in domes. 
That's the best winning percentage for a non-dome team playing in a dome. So they do that specifically since Tomlin took over. So they do a really good job, and they won in a dome on Monday night in Indianapolis in a game that, you know, to be honest, it shouldn't have even been as close as it was. Um, And another thing about this game, and I, I think a lot of people are going to like the Falcons here, but their entire offense is predicated on the ability to run the football. They're fourth in the NFL in run in rushing. Meanwhile, they're 31st in passing. And we all know Marcus Mariota, he was never that great to begin with in the NFL. And he looks even worse this year. Some of his games, you, you scratch your head and wonder how he's a starting quarterback in the league right now. Yet he is. And Kyle Pitts got put on IR. Not that that hurts too much because they inexplicably never throw him the ball. I can't figure out why. I don't think anyone can figure out why. He's arguably the most athletic offensive player in the entire NFL, and they just never throw him the football. So I don't know how much of a blow that is, but Drake London has been practically non-existent, mainly because Mariota can't really get him the football. And you're telling me that they're they have to run the ball And the only thing that the Steelers do well defensively is they're pretty stout against the run. Quietly, they're sixth against the rush this year. And they got uh, Watt back, which always makes a big difference for that defense. And in knowing what uh, they do on the road and in these type of games against Atlanta, only laying one and a half, similarly to TCU, you're basically saying that it's going to win the game. I think I like Pittsburgh and knowing how bad both of these secondaries are, I think we might see plenty of points. So there's a decent opportunity here for a Steelers cover with the over. That might not be a bad parlay if you want to get about three and a half to one on your money. All right. From a a couple franchises or at least one that is used to winning to a couple that certainly are not used to winning but it might be arguably the most competitive, entertaining game of the weekend. The Detroit Lions hosting the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Lions are favored by one, over-under sitting at 51.5. Now, a lot of people, because they're the Lions, might just chalk this up to, oh, this is two bad football teams. But quietly, the Lions, particularly at home, have been really, really good. And so has Jared Goff. Since Goff got to Detroit in home games, he has thrown 28 touchdown passes to six interceptions. Let me say that again. 28 TDs to six picks when he plays at home. That's almost a five to one ratio. That's that's Aaron Rodgers level ratio right there. And this Lions team this year is scoring 29 a game at home. They damn near beat the Bills at home on Thanksgiving, and they could have won that game. And they came into that game having won three straight. So they're playing really well right now. Meanwhile, the Jags, who no doubt about it, they have talent, especially offensively. I think they are moving in the right direction. Trevor Lawrence has taken a step forward this year in year two of his pro career. And he has legit guys in Kirk and Marvin Jones and Zay Jones has really come on as of late. Uh, Travis Etienne, who got hurt last week, but... Peterson said after the game, he could have come back in. He fully expects him to play. So he should be in there. They're going to score plenty of points as well. 
if there's one part of this game that I want a lot of, it's the over. Knowing what the Lions typically do and Goff typically does at home. And we know if you noticed, if you woke up and saw that Thanksgiving Day game, you saw what Amon Ra St. Brown can do when he's healthy. At the beginning of the year, he was lighting the league on fire. Then he got hurt, missed a little over a month, and wasn't close to healthy for a couple of weeks. He was finally healthy for that game, and he looked like himself. And against a Jaguars defense that, you know, is bottom half in the league and easily beatable. And DeAndre Swift is also as healthy now as he has been since week two or week three. So you give me a healthy Swift along with St. Brown, and let's not forget Jamal Williams is not chopped liver. He has 13 rushing touchdowns, and that's not a flash in the pan. If you remember his time in Green Bay, he had a nose for the goal line there as well. A lot of fantasy people know he was a touchdown poacher of Aaron Jones for a while. Um, So there's plenty of reason that the Lions are going to be in the 30s in this game. They're one of only three teams to score in the 30s five times this year. So I think they're going to score plenty. I expect the Jags to at least get into the 20s. So I love the over here. I feel like it's one of the best bets on the board this week. If I had to pick a side, I'd lean Lions. But really, the over is the play from this game. All right, now let's transition to a game that has a lot to talk about. And a lot of that doesn't even have to do with on-the-field stuff. Uh, The Cleveland Browns going to Houston, giving the Texans seven, and it's Deshaun Watson's return to an NFL football field. I've written about it for Clutch Points, and I, I've i been very disappointed in the handling of the Deshaun Watson situation, both from the NFL, from the Cleveland Browns, of course. I mean, a man in his position who settled 26 lawsuits, 25 lawsuits. And that was after the 32 lawsuits that he settled as a member of the Texans that most people forget about Um, for them to reward him with the largest guaranteed, fully guaranteed contract in the history of the sport of football is asinine and infuriating. Nevertheless, Here we are. He's going to play. So we're going to analyze this game as though that stuff doesn't matter. I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of emotion going into this game on both sides of the field. I think the Texans are going to be fired up early on. They have a very good secondary that's better than most people realize. But their rush defense is so bad. They're giving up almost 170 yards a game on the ground. And if I'm Kevin Stefanski, knowing that Deshaun Watson has not played an NFL football game in almost two years, and he's likely to be rusty, feeling some nerves. It's not like Cleveland has the best weapons. Amari Cooper's legit. Outside of that, there's some question marks. David Njoku got ruled out this morning. So knowing all that, I'm not asking him to go out there and do very much. I'm asking Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt to flatten the Texans' defense, and there's little reason to believe that they won't. The Texans, they play as much cover two as anyone in the NFL. And what does that do? That allows you to have seven men in the box more times than not. And you tend to find running lanes. And Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and particularly Nick Chubb, especially this year, is maybe the best back in the league. Probably top three best backs in the league. Cleveland has one of the best rushing attacks in the NFL. Uh, So even though I think 
the Texans might have some energy and some juice to stay in this game early as the game goes on. There's just too much firepower for Cleveland for that ground game to just run them down. And on the other side, the Texans, they're starting Kyle Allen. Brandon Cooks was ruled out. So Nico Collins is their leading receiver. I mean, they don't have anyone else really to speak of. I don't know how they they do enough offensively. Do I think Damian Pierce has a good game here? Yeah, I think he might top 100 yards. He might get in the end zone. The Texans, like I said, might keep it close for a bit. But as this game goes along, Cleveland has the firepower to be able to score in the high 20s, low 30s. The Texans simply don't, and they won't be on the field enough to do it. All right, let's move to the oldest rivalry in the NFL, the Green Bay Packers traveling to Chicago to take on the Bears. The Packers are giving the Bears three and a half over under sitting at 44 and a half. So there's been plenty of talk all year. Aaron Rodgers, you know, he's in, he's out. He's complaining about his receivers. You know, the talk early on, is he going to retire? Then he gets hurt. Now he has the broken thumb and the rib injuries dealing with all this. And he gets pulled from the game against Philly last week. Jordan Love comes in and, and plays great, which I think caught a lot of people by surprise. But he said, hey, as long as we're still mathematically alive, which they are for now, I want to play. He's going to play. He's going to start. And this Bears defense, man, talk about the Texans defense being bad. At least they have a decent secondary. The Bears are just atrocious everywhere. And who can blame them? They weren't good to begin with. And then they traded their two best players in Roquan, Roquan Smith and uh, I forget the guy that they sent to, to Philadelphia. Uh, but that's that already hamstrung a defense that wasn't very good to begin with. And Aaron Rodgers quietly the last three games until he got hurt was actually playing a little bit better, had thrown a couple touchdown passes in three straight. And now you have Christian Watson, who's really been coming on. He has six touchdowns his last three games. Did you know that? Uh, he... And that's like pushing Alan Lazard back to where he should be, which is a number two. He's a decent number two. He's always going to be that. He's never going to be more. Uh, so now that you have an emerging in Dobbs might also play. You got Cobb back in the fold and they still have a great one, two tandem at running back with Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. And let's not forget the Packers have won seven straight against Chicago in 22 of the last 25. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bears are live dogs in this game because of one reason. Justin Fields. He's apparently fully healthy now. He returned to practice and participated fully on Thursday and Friday and was actually taken off the injury report entirely. So he's good to go. And the last time we saw him, because he missed last week with a shoulder injury, the last time we saw him, he was lighting the league on fire. He was looking like Michael Vick during Vick breakout year. Uh, I think it was he ran for 325 yards in two games, uh, which is astounding. It's most in NFL history in the week prior he ran for like 85. Oh, I think it was there was a five game stretch. I believe it was he ran for about 540 yards uh, in like five or six touchdowns. And when he just when the Bears just let him go, when Ibra flew says, just go make some plays, which as the NFL continues to shift and the rules continue to change to favor the offense, if you look at the quarterback position, not like it's 
the quarterback position, but if we called it playmaker position, I think Justin Fields would be looked at in a different light than he is as a quarterback. Because is he an accurate passer? No. Can he drop back and make that second and third read? No. But can he make plays and score points? Yes. His athleticism is off the charts. And so I do think that they're a live dog in this game. And we've seen the Packers defense, which was supposed to be good, is not very good. Um, in, in fact, they're they're bordering being a bad defense at this point. And it didn't help when Rashawn Gary tore his ACL a couple of weeks ago in Detroit on that turf that no one should be playing on that also cost Von Miller. But I digress. Uh, so, yes, the Bears are a live dog. Because it's sitting at three and a half, I'm a little hesitant because I could see the Packers just winning by a field goal. I do like them to win the game. But with the over sitting at 44 and a half, knowing how bad these defenses are, the Packers offense has come to life and the Bears have a healthy Justin Fields. I think we're going to see plenty of touchdowns in this game. So I really like the over here. I think that's the play. All right, now we're going to move on to Kendall's Corner, my favorite segment of the show. And we're going to start off with the World Cup, which so far, this has been arguably the most entertaining and exciting World Cup I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, you know, who would have thought Germany goes out in group stage, Belgium goes out in group stage, Uruguay goes out in group stage. I mean, for Uruguay and Belgium, it's the end of an era. They had so many great players that were aging. This was their last chance. They're done and they're on the shelf for a while. So, but everyone is excited for Team USA. You know, we made it out of the group. I'm stoked. I was fired up watching that game against Iran on Tuesday. And their reward, they get a Netherlands team that is very, very dangerous. Um, they're a little leaky defensively. So I think there's opportunity there in the U.S. Is a live dog. I could see them pulling out this upset. Right now, Netherlands is minus 230 to win the game. U.S. plus 185. Obviously, Christian Pulisic and his health is crucial. You know, he got hurt scoring that goal against Iran. He was cleared to play officially. We don't know if he's going to start yet, but he's cleared to play. One would assume that he's going to play most of the game. But I worry that the U.S. doesn't have enough depth of guys that can finish, that are clinical finishers in that attacking third. And the Netherlands has a number of guys that can score. Now, I don't feel comfortable laying minus 230 when I think Team USA is a legit live dog. But if you take a look at uh, the money line, which excludes any extra time, it's just regulation plus injury time. If you take the Netherlands to win in regulation, you're getting basically even money. You're at minus 110. I think that's honestly the best bet. And I hate to say it. I'm pulling for, for America. I, I want to see us get through and then we'll probably play Messi in the next round. That would be amazing. But, you know, I, I think even if we don't go through, you know, we did the country proud. We played pretty well to get out of the group. We haven't lost a game yet. Just you know, through the, the group stage, which is impressive. Uh, but I just don't see us winning this game and, and knowing how many different ways the Netherlands can put the ball in the back of the net. I think this might end in 90. And if it does, I like Netherlands side at minus 110. I think that's a solid bet. 
there's another game in the round of 16 that's worth talking about as well. Spain versus Morocco. It's really interesting. You know, you can literally see Morocco from Spain. Um, and so there's plenty of history, despite the fact that they play in different leagues. Um, and if you take now, and no offense to Morocco, like I, I've been very impressed with how well they have played thus far. And I was not impressed with how Spain finished the group, but I think they took their foot off the gas a little bit, knowing that they were already through, knowing that they were probably already winning the group. And I think that cost them and why they conceded late in the third game. But similarly to the Netherlands, if you take them in regulation, it's minus 175. That's not a bad price to to pay for a team that is, let's face it, far superior to what Morocco's side has to offer. Morocco's on a, a magical run, but I think it ends here. Take Spain at minus 175. I think you'll appreciate it. All right, now let's move on to a couple of things that I, I like to hit on every week. My teaser and my parlay of the week. So last week we we hit our four team teaser once again. I was pretty thrilled about it at plus two fifty, and we're back at it this week. And I really like the the picks that we have. So so the Seahawks are playing the Rams. Seahawks favored by seven and a half. The Rams basically are down to Wolford at quarterback and Van Jefferson as their leading receiver with Cup and Robinson out. Aaron Donald's out. Seven and a half is a tricky number. And the Rams defense overall is still decent, so they could hang in the game. UT's at seven and a half down to one and a half. I'm telling you, the Seahawks are winning that football game. So you tease that to one and a half. The Giants are one and a half point dogs to the commanders. You tease that up to seven and a half. The Giants could very easily win that game. In fact, I think they might win that game. They play two times in three weeks. I think Washington gets them on the backside of their bye in week 15. Uh, I'd like the Giants to win that outright, but it definitely could go either way. That's a coin flip game. You're telling me a coin flip game, I can get seven and a half on it. You tease the Giants to plus seven and a half. Similarly, you tease the Bengals to plus eight and a half. I think the, I think the Chiefs are going to win against the Bengals. It's going to be one hell of a game. We're all excited to watch it. But I think uh, the, the Chiefs are more motivated. They need to prove to the Bengals they need to knock their confidence down a notch because if Cincinnati wins this game and they play again in the postseason, no matter where it is, Cincinnati's going into that game with their chest out. And I think Patrick Mahomes knows that they're going to be fully prepared for this game. I think they win, but the Bengals are too good, especially offensively. They're getting Jamar Chase back against a, let's face it, relatively weak secondary. The Chiefs run defense has been really stout this year, but their secondary has been suspect. And the Bengals' offense has really come to life the last month, month and a half. Uh, and let's not overlook the Bengals' defense that has only allowed 20 points, I think, three times this year. No one's talking about their defense because they don't have any household names. But there's a number of really good players in that defense. So you can tease that to plus eight and a half. And then finally, you tease that Detroit-Jacksonville over. And again, I love it at over 51 and a half. But since we're teasing, why not throw another one in there? I'd be willing to bet my house that Jags Detroit game goes over 45 and a half. So you put those four together, you're getting another plus 250. And it's hard to find one of those that isn't going to hit. I love that teaser. And now on to the parlay of the week. 
I go over this week after week. Anyone who's playing parlays on point spreads, stop it, stop it, stop it. Vegas is loving it. They're sucking in your money every time. It's a sucker bet. You want to parlay money lines. Yes, you're giving up odds, but every week we know a handful of games that are going or a handful of teams that are going to win. This week, we know the Cowboys are going to beat the Colts. Their defense alone, this is one of those games where their defense alone is going to win that game. It's in Dallas against that offensive line that just lost their center and was already banged up to begin with against that front from Dallas. The Cowboys are going to win that game. Ravens, Broncos, I mean, enough said. The Broncos can't score 13 points. The Ravens aren't great, but they're going to win the game. Same thing with the Seahawks. They're going to win that game. In the Browns, Texans, you put those four money lines together, you get plus 150. So you get a little better than even money. And I dare you to pick out which of those four isn't going to win on Sunday. It's not going to happen. Plus 150 is a great price for those four teams on the money line. All right, well, that's going to do it for this week on Lay the Points. I'm your host, Kendall Caps. I hope you guys can make some money the way I do. And let's have a fun weekend, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.